Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. So as a church at the moment, we're working our way through a series and it's called Hark. Essentially what we're doing is we're, we're working our way through the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we're using that as, I guess, a springboard to kind of look at some of the things within it that are important reminders through this Christmas season. And uh, Pastor Nathan picked this particular carol because Charles Wesley, who wrote it in year 1739, um, he, he wrote it then, and he wrote it because the people back then, some of them couldn't read or write but he wanted to, I guess, communicate the, the theological truths and the, the depth of what Jesus had done uh, through not only Christmas, but through his life. And so, as a church, we're kind of jumping into a bit of that and, and looking at it. So, before I do that, though, actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read the verse, and, and then we'll get into it. It's worth noting that um, Charles Wesley, great guy, great poet, but I reckon he was about an 80% good poet. He made everything rhyme except for two lines of each verse and it really triggers me. It really kind of sets me off. So if you've got OCD, we're going to be okay. We're going to push through this together. See if you can spot the bit that doesn't rhyme. I'm going to read out that verse. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Charles, come on, mate. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Beautiful words. Beautiful words that have been written and, and incredible truths, I guess, for us as we enter into this Christmas season. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into a, a Bible verse soon, but first I just want to share a little bit of a story. A, a couple of years ago, I was, um, this is a, a safe environment, we're church family, but I was living a lie. I'd been living very arrogantly, walking around, thinking, I, I know this and I've, I've got this. Essentially, what I was doing was I would go around boasting that I had 20-20 vision. My whole life, I believed I had 20-20 vision. Now, for those that can see, you'd be able to see the punchline to this story across the front of my face and where we're going to go. But humor me, come with me on the journey to me finding out that I no longer have 20-20 vision. So, my whole life... I'd see someone with glasses or the, the one that I'd love to do if we were driving in a car and I was with someone whose maybe eyesight wasn't so great, I'd pull out the old, hey, tell me when you can read this sign. We'll both say when we can read it and I'd be a little bit cheeky sometimes and read it a little even earlier if I knew the sign, if I knew it said like Wagga Wagga 30 kilometres away, I knew what was coming and so I'd pick it early and they'd think, wow, he has fantastic vision, look at him go, 2020, love and life. And so I was going along this way and then a couple of years ago in summer, I, was, uh, I had the realisation, I've never really worn sunglasses and Ree and I were talking, I was like, I think it's time to wear sunnies, I need to protect my, my blue eyes, I need to look after them because they're more susceptible to sun damage. But I thought, what if I could make our extras health cover work for me? What if I can use it to maybe get AHM to, to pick up the bill for a pair of sunnies? So, for the first time in my life, I, I called an optometrist, we were up at the sunny coast and I called the Maruchidor um, optometrist and said, hi, I just need to come in for, a, for an eye test. I wasn't really sure how to do this. I'd never done it before. And so they're like, sure, this is the time. Come on in. And so the day of the test arrives and I'm feeling very confident, excited to be able to walk through their doors and for them to be able to test my eyes and tell me, my goodness, we have never seen such clear vision. 
I've, I've never seen someone that has such, I, I don't know, 30-30 vision is a thing, but I reckon I might have had it. And so I walk in confidently, they invite me into the room, and I get to sit in the chair, and I wasn't really sure what would be involved, and, and so I sat down, knowing I'd just have to read some letters, and this big metal contraption in front of me, they, they place it in front of my face, and they say, okay, read the first line of letters, and confidently, I then move into it, I'm like, yes, boom, 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 nail it, all of the letters, perfect, I look across at them kind of smugly going, how good was that? Read the next line, nailed it. Read the third line. It was a little bit tougher, but I'm like, oh, surely this is the like, expert section. Read that one. And then they say, read the fourth line, to which I kind of go, is there a fourth line? <laughs> Not sure. So sure you've got the right picture up. And then she did something, and this changed my life forever. She pulled this big handle that made a ka-chunk sound, and it put new lenses in front of my eyes, and all of a sudden there was a fourth line. I couldn't believe it. And in this moment... My heart sank. In this moment, I realized I'd lived a lie that all this time I thought I had 20-20 vision. I was actually not seeing very well. And to be honest, the rest of that session with her, the rest of the test, it was all a blur. And there's no pun intended there, but it was all a blur because my brain was just like, oh my goodness, I actually can't see properly. And the worst thing about this story is I had to get normal glasses, so I couldn't even get sunglasses. So it's, it was a terrible situation. But I realized in this moment, my whole life, I thought that I could see clearly. My whole life, I thought that my vision was clear. But in this one moment, I realized that there was a better view out there for me. There was, a, there was something clearer for me to see. And Charles Wesley, when he penned this, this Christmas carol, he had that in mind. He had that in mind for the people that would be reading it, singing it, listening to it, that they would hear a clear view and a, and a clear description of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Something similar happens, and this is the verse we're going to sit in today. Uh, if you want to, we can chuck it up on the screen, we'll read it together. It's Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, you might think this is a bit odd that we're looking at this verse in connection with that second verse in, um, with Charles Wesley's carol, but what was going on, the reason that, that, or part of the reason that Hebrews was written was some of the early Jewish Christians were walking away from their faith. They'd been walking, they'd been believing it, but, but some of them were kind of going, I'm not sure if Jesus was completely who you say he was. Yes, I believe he was a good man, he was a great rabbi, a fantastic teacher, even a revolutionary leader, but I'm not so sure about the divinity part, I'm not so sure about the God part. And so, the writer of Hebrews, who we don't actually know who the author was, he writes this, and this is his introduction to whether it's a letter or a sermon, this is his introduction. And like the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it is just rich in theological truths. And, and I guess my encouragement to you this morning is to consider in your own life, have I been seeing Jesus clearly? This Jesus that we worship, this Jesus that is spoken about within churches, have I been seeing Him clearly or am I viewing Him maybe the way I want to view Him? Am I just wanting to view parts of Him? Am I wanting to, to water down His message so it's comfortable for me? Or am I willing to look at who He truly says He is? And even more importantly than that, look at what He's done for us. 
So let's have a bit of a look at, at what's going on in this passage. The first bit is, he essentially speaks about how God has been revealed to us previous to Jesus. So, in in verse 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So, this bit here, at many times and in various ways, this is an important piece. So, the Greek words here are are polymeros and polytropos. So, polymeros, in which our our translation says at many times, that word is, it actually kind of means fragmented or in pieces. Um, a way I guess I'd explain this is we have, a, um, we have a beautiful dog at home. His name is Moose, who we affectionately call Moosey. And uh, he's not named after an animal. He's named after the dessert, like all good pets should be. And every night... So, I, I love having an indoor dog because he's a part of my family. He's my friend. And so, he comes in and, and at the very beginning, it was no deal. He's not allowed on the couch. He's now on the couch with me. I've broken down those boundaries. I don't know if I'll get him to be able to sleep in the bed, but I'm going for it. Keep believing for it. But every night when we're having dinner, Moose comes and stands underneath the table. The reason he does this is because he understands my youngest daughter, Sparrow, is kind of like a human Pez dispenser. As she's eating, food is going to work its way under the table and Moosey is going to get to enjoy, I guess, our dinner or little bits of our dinner. And when, she, uh, when she's starting to do better, when she's eating more things and it's actually landing in her mouth, he sticks his nose up and you just see his nostrils kind of sniffing the table, trying to know what's going up there and, and try to just get a glimpse of what's happening on top of the table. Essentially, Moose doesn't really know what we're eating for dinner, but he can kind of piece it together because he's eating little fragments of it. He's eating little pieces of it as, as Sparrow allows it to fall down onto the floor and Um, Even sometimes he just gets it off her plate, but that's okay. But for Moose, he probably thinks we're vegetarian because she only really drops the veggies. And so for Moose, he's he's getting these little bits of our dinner and he's like, man, why are these guys vegos? There's better stuff out there because Sparrow's pretty good with her meat. But what if Moose was able to come up and stand on the table? He would then have a full view of the meal that's before him. He'd have a full picture of, I guess, what is there and he'd be able to eat all of it and he would be a very happy dog. And I do have to admit, he has made his way on top of the table a couple of times, but we don't need to talk about that. But that's what this, this writer is talking about. This word polymeros is that there's fragments. So, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament there are fragments or there's, there's glimpses of God's nature that He's spoken to them with fragments, He's spoken to them in broken up pieces. The other word there is polytropos, which means He spoke in many ways, and, and you don't need to read much of the Old Testament to know that this is true. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush, He spoke to Gideon through a fleece, He spoke uh, to, to Balaam through uh, a donkey, He spoke to Saul through a voice in a blinding light, He whispered to Elijah. He spoke to many throughout times through dreams and visions, and he spoke to nations through prophets. So, what this writer is doing is letting them know God has been revealing fragments or pieces of Himself throughout the Old Testament. So, as you read the Old Testament, you're like my dog, you're getting a glimpse of His nature. You're getting fragments of His nature and and fragments of His character. But we can't stay there. We can't just feast on the fragments. It's important to note here, often when we talk about the Old Testament, for some people, they just love the Old Testament. It's all about it. For others, they want to disregard it or discard it completely. But I want to tell you that the Old Testament is rich. 
The Old Testament is great because it absolutely shows as a humankind, as mankind, our, our progressive revelation of who God is. It's important to note, God has not changed. He never changed throughout any of these pieces. But as people, we've slowly learnt more about Him. He's revealed more of Himself, more of His nature. And so when we look through the Old Testament, we see that. We see people seeing that for themselves. But we can't stay there. You see, when we have Jesus it gives us a clear picture of what God was doing in the Old Testament. When we have Jesus and when we read the Old Testament with the lens of Jesus, that's when we can see the true God that we are worshipping. And that's why this, this writer starts with this. You see, without Jesus, the Old Testament is partial, fragmented, preparatory and incomplete. But with Jesus, it brings life to it. With Jesus, it's connected, and with Jesus, we understand what's going on. I, I know for some of the babies being dedicated today, you're going to get a book, and I, I know for some of you, you're going to get this uh, a storybook Bible, which if you're looking for a Bible for your kids, get the storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It is incredible, because what it does is that it goes through the Old Testament stories and then it ends, so for like Moses, it'll say he delivered the people of Israel um, through the Red Sea, and then it'll go... Later in time, there would be another deliverer, and he would deliver all people. And this is how we're meant to read the Old Testament. And I just wanted to mention that. If you're looking for a kid's Bible, get that one. It is incredible. Uh, but this is how we're meant to read the Old Testament. You see, even look, Ezekiel, he experienced the glory of God, but Jesus radiated it. Isaiah, better than anyone, explained the holiness, the righteousness, the mercy and the kindness of God, but Jesus manifested it. Jesus was those things. Jeremiah described the power of God, but Jesus displayed it. Throughout his life, we're able to see the power of God. And this is such an important piece as we read the Old Testament. And the reason that it's mentioned at the start of this is because for a lot of these people, they're wanting to go back to a fragmented view. They're wanting to go back to a time where they only had pieces. They only had, uh, I guess, an element or glimpses of God's character when actually they had the full picture and the full example right there in front of them. So to limit ourselves to the fragmented view without the lens of Jesus is we also limit our view of God. And that's why we need to allow ourselves to see Jesus and allow Him to be the one that we see clearly on top of it. So it goes on after that in verse 2. So after it says that that's how He spoke to them. And then He says this, and these are the days we live in. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Pastor Nathan shared last week the, the idea of um, a partner. So when you've got with your children, they're a partner of you. So this is, this is talking about Jesus being the fullness of the exact representation of, of God's character and God's being. You see, for me, I remember I mean, when you're a parent, you would know, you kind of have a picture of what your baby's going to look like, right? When, when you, you find out your wife's pregnant or you find out you're pregnant, you go, oh, I wonder what they're going to look like. And you, you kind of have a picture in your mind what they're going to be. And the truth is, you generally just picture yourself as a baby thinking that's exactly what that will look like. It was a little bit of a shock for me because I thought when we had Coco, our first, that, that she'd come out and have like white blonde hair and, and be like quite fair skinned and all these things. She came out, she had jet black hair. And like she was born, I was like, who is this? 
what is going on? But for Rhi, it's exactly what she imagined she would look like because it's what Rhi looked like as a baby. And then luckily, second time around, we had Sparrow and she looked exactly like what I thought she would look like. And I remember for Rhi, she's like, who is this baby? What's going on? But for us, we often think of our children as being a fullness of us, but they're only a partner. They're only a section of us. They, they carry, absolutely, they carry attributes. They carry uh, different parts of who we are but it's never a complete replica. It's never a, an exact representation. And those are the words that, that are used here about Jesus. It says that He is an exact representation of His being. So the word there is character in Greek, and, and essentially it's a verb that is, it's kind of like the, the die cast that would be used to stamp a coin. So it would be used to, to press it. I remember in grade six, um, like all good New South Wales kids, you go on a, an excursion to Canberra, and they take you around many things that at the time were extremely boring. You go to the, the art gallery, the war memorial, the museum, and, and all these things. And one of them is the Australian Mint. Luckily, they chuck Questacon in there, so you get to play with slime and science things. But they take you to the Australian Mint, and they show you how they make the coins. They show you that this big machine essentially presses these coins and makes complete replicas and, and lots of them. And this is kind of what this word is saying, that, that Jesus is an exact copy. He's an exact, he's exactly the same. He's an imprint, an engraving of God's character. But it's not a partness. He's not a part of God's character. He is God in its fullness. He's an exact representation. And, and this is so important for us because at times we can look throughout, even you'd look across this room and there'd be people you know and, and there's elements of their lives you're like, oh, I feel like I get a glimpse of God's character in that. Like that person is very kind or, or that person shows a lot of grace. Uh, if we take it beyond this room, there's, there's people that many of us would know. If we were to go across and say, name one person throughout history, not allowed to say Jesus, who, who showed kindness, I would say a lot of people would, would probably go Mother Teresa. Or if we had to say, uh, tell me someone who showed a lot of passion, we might say someone like Steve Irwin. Or if we had to talk about someone that had the, the character trait of innovation, we might go maybe like an Elon Musk or a Steve Jobs. But they only carry a part of it. They only carry an element. And each of us we get a part of that imprint on our lives. We get to carry that, and that's good. But Jesus was the fullness of God's character. He personified His character. It was in a person. So, up to this point, you're probably thinking, yeah, cool, I agree with all that. I'm all right with it. You're talking about Jesus, that He was God's character, He, was, he lived a good life, he, he was kind, He was merciful, He looked after the poor. I can get around that. Can I tell you that 80% of Westerners can get around that at Christmas time? We all like that, and that's good. But then this passage turns, and this is the important part of it, and, and this is where I really want us to land this morning, because we can just focus on the life that Jesus lived and see that as an encouragement, or even just see that as a way to emulate ourselves and be like, I want to live a good life in the same way that Jesus did. But far more than who Jesus is, is what He did. And that's where we need to go this morning. So, we're going to go there now. I remember growing up, there was, I, I'm sure many of you here do, that to show that you were a Christian, you wore these special armbands called, like, like what would Jesus do armbands? Do you remember those? The WWJD? Yeah, it was beautiful. If you were a real Christian, you might wear two or three different colours. What would Jesus do? And, and essentially, if you don't know what they are, there'd be different situations that they'd be on your wrist and you'd be going along and maybe your mum would say, oh, can you pack the dishwasher? And everything within you would want to go, 
no, I don't want to do that. But then you'd look at your wrist and you'd go, what would Jesus do? And you'd think to yourself, he would go to the hills and pray. And so you'd head to the hills. But, but essentially it was there to change behavior. We, we put those things on and that's okay. It's a, it's a good thing. We'd, we'd do it and we'd want to, I guess, do and try to respond in the same way that Jesus did in any given situation. But I want to suggest that maybe that falls a little bit short because it's not just about what would Jesus do in any given situation. It's actually about what did Jesus do at this single point in time. You know, in verse 3 in the second half, it tells us, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You know, this is the core of what we believe. This is when it gets real. This is when it takes it from... I guess, admiring a person from afar and admiring what they've done and even going, I'd like to be like that, to engaging with it and saying, I want to attach myself to that person. This is when our faith comes into it. This is when we go from adoration to faith. You see, up to this point, they'd been living, their their world had been based on the law. So, they would basically, they would have to purify themselves by living a certain way and cleanse themselves by doing certain things. So, they would go to the priest and the priest would offer a sacrifice for their sins and and that would cleanse them. And so, for these people that are being written to, they're wanting to go back to that. They're wanting to go back to the time when it was up to them. They're wanting to go back to the time when their actions are what, I guess... um, showed what direction they were going to go in their lives. So, the law up to this point said, do this. The law said, do this work and then you will be clean. But Jesus, He came and by His death and resurrection, He took that upon Himself and He did it one time in a single point in history for all. And this is so important because this is the big shift for us. Our natural instincts make us want to go back to the law and make us want to go and do it by our own work. And the law says, do this. Jesus says, trust me. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. We're not called to just do things, but we're called to attach ourselves to Jesus and to trust that He has done it all in a moment. You know, as parents, we see this with toddlers. I mentioned David Lewis. He's got a two-year-old at the moment, and I think thereabouts two. I think I'm close enough. And that's the time of life when they're like, I am ready to be independent. Sign me up, get me a flat, I'm ready to live on my own. And we all know this, if you have toddlers, they kind of, they act as if they can take it all on. I feel like it's, this is the most seen and coming into Christmas, you're, you're about to experience this if you have toddlers, where they will unwrap their present and then like their Mr. Potato Head or whatever it is, is in the box, but it is in jail. That thing is screwed in with wires and screws and all of these things and this plastic that is impenetrable by scissors, like it's, it's impossible to get in. As a parent, you understand you can get into that thing. You can get into that toy. But your toddler, your child gets the box and just is like, I'll do it myself. I'll open it. I'll get to Mr. Potato Head. I can do this. And they struggle and they struggle to the point of frustration, and they they reach this point where they're just so frustrated that they cannot get to that toy, and they have a choice. They do one of two things. They either throw it to the side, and they're like, I've had it with this. I, I can't do this. Mr. Potato Head is not for me. Or, knowing that you are capable, they'll come to you as a parent, hand it to you, and they allow you to then open it for them. Obviously, this is a pretty ridiculous story, but can I suggest that we kind of do the same thing with our faith? 
You know, we, we kind of, despite the fact that Jesus has done it once for all, that He has provided purification for sin, we still try to grapple back control and get there by our own work. We still try to struggle through life and struggle through all of these things saying, it's all good, I got this bit. I'll, I'll sort this bit. Like, Jesus, I know you did those things, but I think I'll just sort this bit out. And we struggle and we struggle and we struggle. And all Jesus is saying is, trust me. Trust me, because I've already done it. And the picture here, so when we read this, we really focus on the purification for sins, because we understand that. For, for the people reading it or hearing it at the original time, the bit that would have knocked them to, their, to, their, to the ground was that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This idea that Jesus was sitting down. The reason that's important it's a, it shows it better in Hebrews 10, 11 and 12. It says this, and it, it's speaking of the, the priests and their work in purification. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. He doesn't have to stand anymore. He's not having to just toil away, trying to help you with your struggles, trying to get you through that, trying to work and, and hope it works. He sits down at the right hand, assured, knowing what his work has achieved. So really simply, I want to ask you, are you willing to accept the new way that Christ has offered you purification of sins, entrusting Him? Or are you going back to the old way, that is your works and trying to get there on your own and struggling and struggling. I, I used to make furniture and um, when we first started, I thought, I'm going to do it all with hand tools. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use chisels, hand saws, no power, nothing, kind of trying to be a bit of a purist. But it didn't take me long to realize you can't make money like that because it takes a long time to actually make the furniture. So eventually I had to then get power tools and, and I realized that there were some incredible tools that could do the very thing I was trying to do with all of the hand tools. So uh, a simple joint that you would use in furniture is a mortise and tenon and to do it by hand, you'd have to mark it all out. You'd have to cut it and make sure it all fits perfectly. You'd project that joint across to the other piece of wood that you would then chisel out and make sure it all fits together. And then I found this tool called the domino. Oh my goodness. It took something which previously took me two or three hours five seconds. I could not believe it. And so every time I make furniture now, I'm like, I want to use the domino. I don't want to go back to using hand tools and doing it that way. But for some reason, there's something within us that always wants to go back to the hard way. There's always something that almost wants to disregard that there is something really simply done and there is such a simple way for you to enter His presence. And that's just through Jesus. And so I want to ask again, how do you see Jesus? Do you see him as just a, a great teacher? Do you see him as, as a great rabbi or a great leader that kind of was amazing in the way he was countercultural, but lived a good life, but that was it? Or do you understand that through his death and through his resurrection, we have eternal life? Through his death and resurrection, we've been saved from our sins in one moment. I'll invite the band to come up and join me. We're going to sing in a moment. And I just want to encourage you, this Christmas season, it's easy to just focus on the Christmas story. And that's good. The Christmas story is good. All of this stuff is good. 
fairy lights are great and all of these trees and everything, it's good. But it's also, it's quite easy to become enamoured with all of the trimmings. It's easy to become even enamoured just with the Christmas story. But the reason that we celebrate Christmas is not just because Jesus was born. It's also not, not just because of the life that Jesus lived. The reason that we celebrate Christmas is because of what He achieved on that cross. The reason that we celebrate Christmas is because in one moment, in a single point in history, our whole trajectory was changed. In one point in history, we're able to approach Him. It says in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you know this is what Jesus achieved on the cross? He achieved everything we need. And so when you're looking to Jesus, this is why I want to encourage you, let's be sure that we're seeing Him clearly. Let's be sure that we're looking to the Jesus that's spoken about throughout the Scriptures, the Jesus that we're about to sing about in a moment with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This Jesus that, yes, He lived a great life. Yes, He personified God's character. And, and if anyone wants to see what God's like, simply point them to Jesus. But even more than that, He's the great priest. He's the one that in a single moment allowed us to have purification from our sins. And now He sits at the right hand of the Father, assuring us with the assurance that we know we can approach Him. I want to share um, a Puritan named William Bridge writes it really beautifully. I'm just going to read it the way he says it. And this is how we can approach Jesus. Are you accused by the world, your conscience, or Satan? He is called your advocate. Are you ignorant? He is called your prophet. Are you guilty of sin? He is called priest and high priest. Are you afflicted with many enemies, inward and outward? He is called king and king of kings. Are you in dire straits? He is called your way. Are you hungry and thirsty? He is called your bread and water of life. Are you afraid you shall fall away and be condemned at the last? He is our second Adam, our representative, in whose death we died and who has satisfied all that God requires of us. I want to tell you that Jesus meets all of our needs. He's all that we need. And so this Christmas season, I want to encourage you, despite all the noise, despite all the fanfare, just look to Jesus and know that you can approach Him. And because of what He's done, it's not just a great life that we can look to, but we can approach Him in our time of need. And He will be everything that we need. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.